3: This is the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Shawley. Coming up, should the Olympics go ahead in Tokyo this year? Even some sports people think that perhaps it shouldn't. So we'll take a look at that. First we kick off with our columnist panel. It's Alex Massey and Rachel Cunliffe. Um lying. I'm quite interested in lying and when is a lie not a lie and when is it a bit of spin and nonsense. And I, it, uh, and try to separate lies from you know, Little White Lies, or we I believed it at the time, and it feels like that's the essence of trying to detangle quite a lot of what we got from Dominic Cummings this week. Um, Alex, is Matt Hancock a liar?
4: Well, I mean, it's very difficult for, for, I think, for for the layman, uh, those of us outside the process to to really say definitively. But, you know, uh, in general terms, has the the health secretary often uh, delivered, um, if you like, an optimistic appraisal of where, Uh, where matters have been vis-a-vis coronavirus over the last 15 months that has been at odds with the reality on the ground. Well, I think you have to say, yes, he has quite frequently done that. Um, The the question as to whether he's he's lied to cabinet ministers or lied to parliament is in in some ways somewhat beside the point because what the the big picture from from Cummings' extraordinary evidence uh, in the House of Commons this week and so on is the, the government is serially incompetent. Um, you know, there were times when you had to when you wondered, well, hang on a minute, Mr. Cummings. You know, were you not notionally playing quite a senior role in this? Um, you know, it was almost as though he was sort of commenting upon a, uh, an administration of which he uh, had little influence. Um, you know, and you had to sort of pinch yourself to, to remember that, you know, he was the, the prime minister's senior advisor. You know, he was supposed to be getting a grip on things. And so, you know, to a certain extent, his testimony was um, an admission of extraordinary. Ordinary failure on his part, but that is only a smaller part of, of a more general system-wide, to use a very Cummings type uh, phrase uh, failure. and that, that it seems to be is perhaps more important than some of the, the particular detail as to you know which politicians he is saying nice things about and which politicians he is saying bad things about the general picture is perhaps a, a bigger truth than, than any of the, 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 the sort of contributory details to that picture.
3: Uh, what do you think, uh, R- Rachel? Is it possible to know uh, what is a lie and what isn't? And also, I suppose it, it's, if somebody said something at the time, and then that turned out either not to be the case, or it didn't work, or it wasn't quite the you know how the plan panned out, is that a lie at the time, or was it just you know you made the wrong call, or you you made the wrong assumption?
0: I keep coming back to that line in the. Um, The press statement after the Harry and Meghan Oprah interview when the royal family was was, uh, commenting on some of the things they said, and they said, recollections may vary, (laughs) which I think is a...
3: That's a, a very a lovely, good point. Yeah,
0: it's a lovely way of encompassing that um, human human memory is fallible, but also you can say something that you think is true at the time, or you you sort of you imply something. You know that somebody else is going to take from that implication that something is 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 being done or is happening, which isn't happening. Is that is that a lie in that sense? Is it a lie if you you believe it to be true, or you believe that it it can be true? It's it's, it's interesting philosophically um what i think is interesting about the, the coming testimony is, is is he actually used the phrase lied that matt hancock had lied repeatedly and he was sort of called out on that and asked if he had evidence to back that up and he said that he did so i imagine there's a certain amount of of, of pressure now for him to produce some of that that, that evidence because some of those claims were um, quite explosive, and Downing Street's in a very interesting position because they can't act on those allegations without suggesting that a lot of the other things that Cummings said about the entire government and the prime minister being incompetent are also true. But if specific evidence emerges of a lie that the health secretary told, it's very very difficult for for him to maintain his position, and then the rest of the the um the testimony gets added credibility too. So right now we're in a position where Somebody is 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 misleading somebody because there are so many now on the record contradictory versions of events. Getting to the bottom of exactly what happened, who was in the room when it happened, um, I, I I think is is unlikely at this point.
3: And I suppose that's the thing: is if too much of the effort is going into settling scores, uh, you'll sort of never get to the truth, or certainly never learn any lessons necessarily about what we should do if. God forbid there was another pandemic. If we spend our whole time trying to work out why is it that Dominic Cummings seems to hate Man- Matt
4: Hancock quite so yeah, much? E- e- exactly. I mean that 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 is not really the major part of what you know we should take from Cummings is. Testimony, and you know, and as you know, he, he suggested that you know, actually, we are not ready for a lot of other possible disasters that may come down the line. Now, there was a, a remarkable moment when he said, You know, I have seen the plan for what we do if there is a major anthrax attack in the United Kingdom, and that plan is not a good plan, you know, it needs work. And that, that led one to think, Well, what other contingency plans are there in place that, that, that perhaps need to be reappraised in the light of what we've learned from? The COVID pandemic. You know how prepared is the British state for other stressful situations of this sort? Because we know that that there will be future pandemics. We know that there will be future unforeseen events. Um, uh, you know how ready is the government for these things? And, and you know that's something that's been somewhat lost in the uh, sort of Westminster Kremlinology, if you like, as to, uh, you know, trying to parse what Cummings was meaning by a lot of what he was saying. And so, on. you know, um, the bigger picture is actually much more concerning. Um, and, and, you know, the part of that obviously also goes to the prime minister's behavior, his character. And so, on. you know, you had the extraordinary assertion from Cummings that the lesson Boris Johnson took from his own Quote, near death, unquote, uh, uh, encounter with coronavirus was that the first lockdown had been a mistake. Now, if that's the case, then you have a prime minister who subsequently finds himself following uh, a course of action that leads to a second and a third lockdown that the prime minister presumably thinks is the wrong thing to be doing. So you have a prime minister who is too weak to set his own course. Or the alternative is, is that you have a, a prime minister who is, you know, in some sense, completely divorced from reality. Now, neither of those, it seems to me, are particularly comforting things to to, to contemplate. But one of them has to be true.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And what can we what can we do about uh, liars, uh, Rachel?
3: I know you you've sort of written about um, the question of what you know if it turns out that Dominic Cummings has been telling lies about who else was was telling lies, or maybe. <laughs> Uh, is it a, just a really depressing uh, fact that you know if you look at uh, polling, Boris Johnson, fifty-five percent of people don't trust Boris Johnson normally anyway, uh, uh, and uh, you know it was about that when he won his majority um, in uh, December twenty nineteen. You know, forty ahead of Wednesday, fourteen percent of people said they would believe they would trust uh, Dominic Cummings' version of events on coronavirus. I suspect that's changed now because some people <laughs> agree with him, so are more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But is it just a really depressing reality that we think people in politics lie all the
1: time?
0: I think it's a complicated question. So I wrote this for the New Statesman this week because I I thought if it turns out that Dominic Cummings, if it's proved that he did... Uh, give incorrect or misleading information. Surely there are consequences. Surely it's like perjury or or, or lying under oath. um And the answer is it, it it isn't. I spoke to some some lawyers about this, and they said that actually there are there, there are no penalties for lying to a select committee. Certainly not for non members, for uh, MPs and for ministers. Theoretically, if you're found to be in contempt of Parliament, you can be forced to resign. Well, we've seen a number of incidents over the past few years of. Um, Uh, revelations that various members of the government, including the prime minister, have not acted with, quote, uh, honesty and integrity, which is part of the ministerial code. Have there been resignations? Of course, there haven't. And if it's that difficult to hold people to account when they're actually people who have roles in parliament and in government, how are you meant to hold people to account who are just members of the uh, of the public. You, you can't. And what's interesting about Dominic Cummings is he has actually been found in contempt of Parliament previously for refusing to appear in front of a select committee to talk about vote leave and Facebook and, and fake news. Um, and he was admonished in, in the House of Commons, which is quite serious. You, you, you would think that would be quite serious. The House of Commons saying this person has been found in contempt of, of Parliament. Months later, he's an advisor to Downing Street. Again, no consequences whatsoever. He's got a parliamentary pass. So the idea that we have this code of conduct, that we expect people in government and our public officials to just behave with integrity because they know if they don't, the threat to their reputation is, is enough of a deterrent. Clearly, we're not operating in that world anymore. Are there legal ramifications? No, there aren't. Do we have any way of holding people to account? Unfortunately, at the moment, no, we don't. And if we want to have those legal ramifications, that is going to completely change the the ethos and the structure of of our government system. And we might have to start writing things down, which is something that we we don't seem to like here in the UK.
3: <laughs> well, one other person who's who majorly emerged completely unscathed from Dominic Cummings' uh, onslaught this week was Rishi Sunak. who seems to be, he's he does have a slight touch that Gordon Brown's about. You know, he does disappear for large. He did pop up at the uh, Treasury Select Committee yesterday, apparently saying that the Treasury has got nothing to learn from the Greensill lobbying scandal and defended his text messages with David Cameron. Um, Dominic Cummings heaping praise on Rishi Sunak, even though actually, everything we know about what happened uh, last year, uh, Rishi Sunak um, was was against lockdowns, wanted to end lockdowns, wanted to tell people to go back to the office, uh, repeatedly tried to end the furlough scheme before being told to um uh continue it. oppose the idea of uh, free school meals uh, for uh, children when during lockdowns too and you know battered into it by Marcus
4: Rashford um alex is is Rishi Sunak any good well it's very difficult to say i mean he's not been in post for very long but you know um what is certainly what he is certainly good at is promoting if you like brand rishi um that had, i mean mean—I—I I, I think that perhaps the chancellor might spend a little less time on Instagram uh, and and Twitter promoting him, himself uh, than to be the case, but uh, you know it is quite clear that were something to happen to the prime minister, God forbid, um, the chancellor is the most likely, perhaps the, the only credible uh, successor currently in the cabinet. And so to that extent, there is a significant interest for the conservative party at the moment to ensure that the chancellor's uh, reputation remains intact. Um, uh, And there is, you know, I I think some of the, the stuff about what the Treasury's view on, you know, lockdowns on eat out to help out on free school meals and so on you know some of this i think can be just it can be ascribed to the traditional you know treasury view that that the the treasury is the grown-ups in the room if you like everybody else wants to spend 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 and the treasury from time to time has to point out you know certain unwelcome truths uh, and, and some of the unwelcome consequences of allowing everybody else to play with all the toys they want you know um so so some of this is is perhaps an institutional thing vis-a-vis the the Treasury rather than the Chancellor's own preferences. But it remains the case that, you know, he has risen so 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 rapidly that it is, you know, very few people really have much of an idea as to who Rishi Sunak really is. Um, and that is a very advantageous position for a politician to find himself in, because it allows people to project onto him their uh, preferences, their own preferences, their own desires, if you like, uh, and to assume in some strange fashion that the, pr- that the Chancellor represents those uh, preferences, will, will advance those uh, desires. And, and that, as I say, is, is a very fortunate position for a politician in which to find himself. But it's one that can't last forever, because at some point, Rishi Sunak will have to say who he really is.
3: Uh, do you know who he really is, Rachel?
0: Uh, he's very good at Instagram, as, as
5: Alex <laughs> says.
0: Um, I, I think. His he's in the position because of the the response to the pandemic and the the furlough scheme, which was a, a triumph. It was put together from from nothing and in place in a matter of uh, less le, less than two weeks. And I think a lot of people look at that and think that Rishi Sunak sort of helped them through the pandemic because they were on furlough, hundreds of thousands of people on furlough. Um, what he hasn't been tested on yet are the decisions where he has to take something away, whether that's through uh, tax rises or through uh, weaning people off that support as as the, we come out of the, the pandemic. And when those job losses start to hit and when people are no longer getting government support, suddenly I think he's going to be a lot less popular. He's been in this weird position of of being able to hand out all the sweet eats throughout the pandemic because it has been, quote, unprecedented times. That isn't going to be the case forever. Um, you have to on, ta- on,
3: you have to start taking the sweets back that's uh, that's ultimately <laughs> the problem
0: indeed um but but on the select committee and, and, and on green Sale, i actually kind of think he's right the treasury comes out very well from the text with david cameron david cameron comes out appallingly <laughs> desperate and, and needy please take my calls please take my calls um the the treasury says you know very politely thank you for getting in touch mr cameron um we'll you know pass we'll, it we'll, on. We'll,
3: your call is we'll, important we'll, to us We'll review this through the proper channels <laughs> and
0: then does does nothing. And that is, I think, the right response.
3: Alex Massey and Rachel Cunliffe, Then, Of course, don't forget, you can get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times box. Up
5: next, should the Olympic Games go ahead?
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
2: Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history.
5: You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for this.
3: It was delayed a year ago, of course, because of the coronavirus pandemic. Now it's due to start in less than two months, about 11 weeks today. Uh, The uh, Tokyo Olympics 2020 are due to kick off. But coronavirus is still casting a shadow over the Games. It's likely that Tokyo's state of emergency will be extended by three weeks to the 20th of June. One of the big sponsors of the Games has said that it shouldn't go ahead and tough coronavirus measures could stay in place for about a month uh, right up until uh, the city is due to uh, host the opening ceremony. So will it go ahead and how different will it be? In a moment, we'll speak to some athletes, uh, current and former Paralympians and Olympians about what they think should happen. But let's go live now to Tokyo and speak to uh, Richard Lloyd-Parry, our Asia editor of The Times, uh, to get the pitch from there. Hi, Richard.
6: Hello there, Matt. Good
3: evening from Tokyo. Good, good evening. Good afternoon. No, good morning. Good morning from London. Uh, <laughs> I've just got to work out what the time was. Um, so, yeah, what is the latest in terms of the the chance of uh, of the games going ahead? Because it feels like even in the last day or two, there's been more uh, pressure for for, the, for it not to go ahead as planned.
6: Yeah, well, I mean, officially, the uh, International Olympic Committee and the Japanese and Tokyo governments say no, we it's fine, we're confident we can do it safely. Uh but increasingly and, and especially in the last week, more and more pressure is mounting. Uh, on on the japanese government to 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 cancel or to or to persuade the ioc to cancel uh, i mean in an hour's time uh, mr suga the japanese prime minister will as you said announce that they're extending the state of emergency until june the 20th which is just 33 days i think for the opening ceremonies due to start they've they've done this twice now extended the state of emergency Uh, I mean, a lot of people must be wondering whether I'll have to do it again at the end of June. So, you know, I I think we can assume behind the scenes that very serious discussions are going on within the Japanese government about what the best thing to do is. And they must find themselves in a very difficult dilemma.
3: And it was one of Japan's biggest newspapers, which is also a sponsor of the games that, that they've now called for it to 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 not go ahead.
6: That's right. The the four big Japanese national daily newspapers are all partners, as, as sponsors are called, of the games. And the Asahi newspaper, which is sort of centre-left, it, it's a bit like The Guardian in Japan, uh, came out in an editorial two days ago saying... I mean, in sizzling terms, saying that it's ridiculous for for these games to go ahead. It's completely unreasonable, and it's a, a threat to public health. It was a really very powerful uh, line they took. Uh,
3: and uh, there's also question marks over um, athletes being able to go there. Is it America have, have warned against America uh, against America's Americans travelling there? Um, so, is it possible that, that even if it does go ahead, not all countries will be represented?
6: Yeah, I mean, what's happening is more and more these sort of strange contradictions and paradoxes are are, are popping up because, you know, in Japan and and around the world, people are are taking the pandemic, of course, very seriously. The the cases are are high in Japan at the moment, but at the same time, they're trying to put on their cheerful Olympic face. So, uh, as you say, the American government put Japan on, on its it's grade four list, which is a list of countries where Americans are strongly encouraged not to visit. But at the same time, the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, have been saying, oh, no, it's fine. Our, our athletes will be going. Um, there are lots of things like that which are becoming more and more difficult to square. I mean, just to give you another example, it's a very small one, but I, I live close to a big park in Tokyo called Yoyogi Park. And Yoyogi Park um, has that they're building. They've started to build, prepare to build a big a viewing stage there where people during the Olympics will be encouraged to go and mingle and watch the Olympics on big screens and have fun together. But you can't actually go into the park, most of it, because it's considered too dangerous for the pandemic at the moment. <laughs> so they're, they're preparing to, you know, welcome lots of people to into the park. At a time when the parks, you can't go. Uh, and this is happening more and more, more and more, the contradictions are coming into the open.
3: Uh, There was a deal struck um, this week, was there, about um, uh, plans to try to uh, vaccinate all athletes uh, who are due to attend, to try and, was that, reassure, um, presumably, obviously, was to reassure those taking part, but also reassure the Japanese public, because public opinion uh, has sort of turned against the Games as well.
6: Public opinion has been against the Games since last year, really, and and it's getting stronger. Yes, what they're saying is that they will encourage... All athletes to be vaccinated i 'm not going to force anyone to do it, uh, and I think that vaccines are being provided for that but uh, I mean there was a an interesting article in the in the New England Journal of Medicine by a group of august doctors and, and infectious disease experts who point out that that 's all very well i mean uh, you know, athletes from, from from Britain, from Europe and North America, probably most of them will be vaccinated. But there's 206 countries take part in the Olympics. In more than 100 of those countries, they either haven't got authorised vaccines or they just haven't got the availability. Um, I mean, of course, they're the smaller, poorer countries, but they're all going to be sending athletes as well. Uh, another example is that These vaccines are not licensed in general for use on young people, on teenagers or younger. So the very young gymnasts and swimmers and divers, you know, some of them, I think, are as young as 12. They won't be vaccinated either. So there'll be plenty of people coming in who are not vaccinated.
3: Uh, And so, Richard, what's your hunch? Is it going to happen?
6: Oh I wish I knew you, you know what I think the truth is I think the truth is that they haven 't decided yet the i o c desperately wants it to go ahead because the i o c only exists so that Olympics can happen. It would be devastating for them. The Japanese government you know it would be terrible for them to call it off, but they have a lot of other things to bear in mind, and I think probably they they are keeping their fingers, toes, and legs everything crossed, and they 're hoping that in a month 's time things will look better and it will be easier to sell to their public. But I'd be surprised if the Japanese government has completely ruled out cancellation at this stage
3: which is a lovely speech as ever. Have a good evening, because now I've worked out what the time it is with you. I'm Richard Lloyd-Barry, the age editor of The Times, uh, joining us from uh, Tokyo. Well, up next, we're going to hear from some of the sportsmen and women themselves about how they feel about the prospect of whether or not the Olympics should go ahead in Tokyo in just 11 weeks. It's the 2020 Olympics, of course, that should have happened uh, last summer. Organisers drawing up more and more coronavirus rules for each individual sport to try to prevent an outbreak at the summer's games if they go ahead. Has 33 competitions, 339 events held across 42 venues. That's quite the logistical uh, conundrum. Never mind, there's also the Paralympics due to happen immediately afterwards with 539 events across 22 sports in 21 venues. Okay, well, let's chat to uh, some of the people who've competed in previous Olympics and find out what they think about whether or not it should go ahead. Earlier, I spoke to Gail Ems, former TGB badminton player. She attended two Olympics, uh, winning a silver medal in 2004. I started off by asking her just what it's like to go to your first Olympic Games.
7: It's like... um... It's an emotional. You are an emotional wreck, basically. <laughs> I was twenty-seven. When I went to my first Olympics, which, in in kind of sports people's terms, quite old. And you, you know, like you think about Tom Daly going when he was like fourteen, and then I'm twenty-seven. I missed out on Sydney four years earlier by one place, so I think it was even more emotional for me being in Athens. Um, and you just, you just, you're wearing the GB track suit. You're walking around the Olympic Village. You're seeing famous person after famous sports star and you're one of them, you're part of this unique club of people which is something you can never really explain to people it's something that you've watched on TV and suddenly you are there and it's, yeah, it's just all your emotions just come pouring out because suddenly it's real, you are an Olympian
3: And and do you act all cool around all these other (laughs) Olympians or do you completely lose it and start asking people for selfies? You
7: try, well you know, I was pre like all social media days. So it was great, and I mean, we we just you know sort of did the old secret. Oh yeah, all right, all right. You know, how are you? You know, that was more like common rather than taking selfies and and taking pictures of with people. But and I think it was still old school cameras then as well. So yeah, I have got some really good photos. Um, but I think you have to, you can't do that because you have to respect everyone. Everyone's there. Everyone's got their nerves. Everyone's got their job to do. So you have to have this little bit of air of, well, you know, you might be uh, messy, I'm Gaylems, uh, we're here on the same level, you know, because you do think, oh, my gosh, they're the same boat, or, oh, my gosh, you so so-and-so. You have to be, <laughs> like, well, actually, they should be going, oh, my God, it's Galems <laughs> Exactly.
3: So <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> Absolutely right. So they should. Um, yeah. And so what do you think about uh, whether or not the Olympics should go ahead this summer in Tokyo? Obviously, they're supposed to happen last year. Um, do you mm. think they should go ahead this summer?
7: My heart and my head are really torn on this. Because obviously, from an athlete point of view, if you've been training, you know, every single day for the Olympic Games, you're like, oh, my God, just please let it go, let it happen. Because this is what I've been training for. What's the purpose otherwise? But then, you know, knowing knowing what the Olympics is like, knowing what the Olympics should be about, knowing what, you know, that emotion, the celebration, the real reason why we have the Olympics And no, it shouldn't go ahead because it won't be an Olympics. It's just going to be this sterile, horrible event which people are putting on, just for the sake of putting on so they don't lose some money and try and gain some money. And the the money in politics or show, you know, showing that we can do it rather than should we do it? Is it really, you know, you want to look in the crowd and see GB flags. You want to walk out and you want to see your mum and dad in the crowd because they 've been the ones that have been supporting you all the way, and now they can 't be there you know all these little things that you know' then we go, oh it is fine you know, because we 've got to put it on and you know build the stadium and everything it's not the Olympics it really isn't and I'm a real believer in it if you 're not going to do it properly, don't do it I just, it just feels so wrong, but I, I, you know but from the nasty of you it it must be heartbreaking for them but I just wish they'd have made this decision I just think they've been hanging on and hanging on and I just don't know what's going to happen and that's also horrible for the athletes horrible for the coaches horrible for the managers even the people you know events managers and and you know all the Japanese that are helping out It just feels weird (laughs) really weird
3: (laughs) Do you think there is this sort of disconnect on the one... And, you know, we've seen this recently in Football too. and there's all the hoo-ha, the Super League and all that. On the one hand, fans and, uh, you know, in this case, the athletes... You know, there's, a, there's a, the romance of the sport and, mm-hmm. uh, and all of that and, the, you know, the patriotism and all the stuff you were talking about. But then the flip side is there is, you know, it's hard money and the financial side and, like you said, and the politics. And it's a big, it's a massive business thing, isn't it? There's a lot of money riding on this. Do you think that that has been put before the safety of athletes?
7: I'm not necessarily I don't. I don't not believe that Japan and Tokyo and all the cities will not do the best, the absolute best they can to keep everyone safe. I don't doubt that. But that's not what the Olympics is about. You know, you just talked about that passion and emotion from fans. Every footballer, every rugby player has just gone. Oh my god, it's awful playing in front of empty stadiums it's horrible you know that's your your job it's like being a gladiator you know Russell Crowe Crowe and Gladiator. that's how I try and describe it what it's like in that the backstage you can hear the crowd and you just walk out and then you put on a performance you want to show the world what you can do your talent your skill are you the strongest are you the best that's what sport is about and you've got those athletes cheering you on or maybe they're against you but you try and turn the crowd that's what sport is And it won't be like that. So you're performing for the sake of performing because someone said, no, we have to do this because we postponed it. And if we don't, we're going to just lose all credibility and we need to scrape some money. We we know the Olympics is about money now because, you know, we've got golf and tennis in the events now when really that the olympics is not the biggest event for them so we know that it's about money but now it's just gone oh yeah it really is about money it really is it's just not even you know it's not the olympic games how it should be so yeah it's frustrating and i i just think they should have just stopped it and just put everything back four years so everyone goes back another four years the tokyo would have hosted in in 2024 but now i feel like it's too late for that
3: that was Gail Enns, uh, f- uh, former badminton. She won a silver medal at the Olympics. She went to two Olympic Games. Uh, she's saying that it shouldn't go ahead this summer. Well, uh, we can talk now to uh, one person I'm sure, pretty sure is hoping it really does go ahead. Tom Bosworth, an uh, Olympic uh, race walker. Uh, and you, you're due to be going,
8: aren't you, Tom? Selected and, and got my place on, on the uh, socially distanced plane. Very good. We've also joined by
3: Baroness Grey-Thompson, Tanny Grey-Thompson, of course, now a crossbench peer, Paralympian and a holder of 11 gold medals from the Paralympi- Paralympics. Is that right, Tanny?
5: Yeah, it is. Good morning.
3: Morning, morning. Thank you for joining us. I'll talk a bit, a bit about um, uh, where you keep them all. Um, uh, so, Tom, uh, first of all, uh, so you've been selected, but you, were you presumably you were selected for last year's as well. How have you spent the last 12 months in a sort of state of preparedness? Um, uh, hoping that the Olympics will go ahead this year? Because presumably you, right from Rio, I know you went to Rio, you have four years of, you know, gearing up for the next Olympics in 2020. They were postponed. So how's it been for you from a sort of, from uh, as an athlete?
8: Um, yeah, I mean, i faced so many different challenges that I've never faced before in my athletics career. I mean, to say that we had almost every day planned out from about the end of the 2018 season through to August the 5th on 2020, is, is almost an understatement. We had it all prepared perfectly, and we, you know, we can never get those days back and and the days we've missed. But then in March last year, I ended up catching COVID and was really unwell. Um, so I was relieved the games were cancelled. Um, and and it's kind of been a bit of a fight back from from that point. But for me, uh, as you say, I went to Rio, uh, and it's now been five years on. I'm I'm hoping to be at my peak right now in my career. So it. It is now or never, really, for me, uh, and that's why I feel so strongly that, from a selfish point of view, uh, I, I would like the games to go ahead. It
3: has uh, having been ill with uh, coronavirus, is that you, you haven't had any sort of long-term effects? I mean, not, you know, there've been lots of talks with this long COVID or just you know affecting their um, you know um, uh, physical health. Obviously, you need to be at your absolute peak in eleven weeks' time. Um, have you have you suffered any long-term effects from having it?
8: Well, I, I don't think I really did have, have long COVID, but I did notice uh, the, the impact, you know, we're, we are pushing our bodies every single day and I wasn't able to get anywhere close to that sort of level um, for for probably three or four months. And so even though I wouldn't class it as long COVID, uh, it really did feel like suffering from a very bad injury um, or, or, or similar. And it wasn't just like recovering from, from a cold and then a couple of weeks later, you're, you're good to go. It it, it I missed the entire of last last summer, which, you know, there wasn't any races anyway. But it was constantly in my mind questioning whether actually I would be able to get back back to my best. But, but thankfully, I have through this winter. Well,
3: that's good news. And presumably you're you're despite all the because you're you're pumped up, ready, fired up, desperate
8: to go. Well, I mean, I I can't be anything else. You know, you sacrifice every (laughs) single day, you know, for for an Olympic Games and and to be at the very best. You just have to, until we're told otherwise, it's going ahead and and we're going to be fighting for those medals.
3: Uh, Tiny Grain Thompson, what do you think? Should it go ahead this summer?
5: Uh, Well, the IOC have said... (laughs) The the, um, the, the, the IOC have said... um, Absolutely, definitely, and um, there's a statement out this morning saying, barring Armageddon, um, uh, amid fears of Olympic strand. And headlines are always quite contentious. I mean, hindsight is absolutely amazing to have. I mean, at this moment in time, you kind of may be thinking it would have been nice if they delayed it till next year. But th- there's a lot of context around that, which is difficult because you've then got Worlds and Europeans and Commonwealths, and so the calendar is quite busy. So I think at the time they made the right decision. But I think what it comes down to is is individual decisions. You know, when you're an athlete and you're on the cusp of competing at the Olympics or Paralympics and and you've got your place, you've got to be able to, you know, as far as possible, make that decision. The IOC have also said, you know, 80% of the village will be vaccinated. Some countries have prioritised vaccinating their Olympic and Paralympic athletes like Italy. Others haven't. So there's there's loads of things to take into account. If it was me competing, if I was, you know, that position – I I would want to go because you don't know how many games you've got the chance of of being at. And and ultimately, it's your career that you've trained for a lot of years for. Yeah, you you would want to know that it was safe and, you know, not just the social distancing on the plane, but the village and the transport and the dining hall. There's so much to think about. But um, if if it was me, I, I would want to be there.
3: And that's the thing, isn't it, Tom, is that you've never mind what happened in the last year. You, you managed to go to Rio. Were it postponed or cancelled altogether? So there wasn't another one then until 2024. For a lot of people, that would mean that they'll possibly even their one and only shot at going to an Olympic Games um, will elude them. Because, you, you know, your your physical peak can be quite narrow. But it obviously depends on the sport.
8: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's why I feel, you know, really passionate when I read these headlines, or, you know, just cancel it, push it back you you're not just you know this isn't any normal line of work you've probably sacrificed you know i've sacrificed two thirds of my my life to 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 being an athlete to peak in in a handful of seasons if that and and you know some athletes very short career they have and and it will you know it will pass them by if these games don't go ahead and they will never ever have that opportunity to call themselves an olympic athlete and and that does mean something you know to to Every single uh, athlete out there, and it's what they strive for. It's it's so easy just to kind of say, "Oh, you know, we can just cancel it or or, or postpone it." It's it's the right thing to do, and and if that's what happens, and if that is the right thing to do, that then then that's what needs to happen. But there is so much riding on this for for so many individuals. Uh,
3: And uh, Tani, you've you went to several. How many? Did you went to Barcelona, Atlanta, Sydney? And Athens.
5: Oh I did I did I did five. So um so I did sold to Athens, but also in demonstration races I competed at four Olympics.
3: Wowzers. So which was the best one? As a, oh, a when you were competing. Uh,
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, um well, Barcelona, because we had, you know, absolute packed stadiums and my family was there. And everything Gail was saying is right. I mean, I've competed in front of three people and a dog, which was kind of Atlanta. <laughs> and I've competed <laughs> in front of um Hundred ten thousand people in the Sydney Olympic Stadium the same night that Cathy Freeman ran, and I know which I prefer, absolutely. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I I don't know whether it's maybe athletics. We're used to competing in front of not always that many people, so yeah, it would it would be amazing to have spectators and everyone there and your family. But also, it's that moment you're on the track, you're in the race or on the road. You 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 want to to win the Olympics or Paralympics, so it's. It is it is difficult. I, I think f- actually, for athletes that this is their first games, it might be quite different if it's their second games or third yeah. games. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I and this sounds awful. I always feel a little bit sorry for athletes where London was their first games
3: because <laughs> it's never going to be that good again.
5: Well, it kind of set the bar pretty high. Yeah. So um, you know, and Rio, you know, you know was was better, I think, than we all expected in terms of spectators and support, but. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a really hard one. And I think athletes are going to have to make decisions way beyond what they normally would in terms of their friends and family and children and whether they've had the vaccination, whether they've had COVID. And th- this is what well, athletes are making a difference. So no one has known what it's like to have 18 months with virtually no competitions. There is no one in the world that's got that experience. And the only people who've had it, are the ones who are injured. And that's not a real experience because if you're injured, you can't train. So, this is unlike anything. And I'm sure there's loads of people out there who think the Olympics and Paralympics might be quite frivolous and it's not the most important thing. And and and, and I kind of understand that because, you know, people are dying and have died from, from COVID. But, you know, again, the other side. So I'm, I sound like I'm sitting completely on the fence of this. But,
3: for, <laughs> but basically, but for athletes, it's, it's really difficult. It's really lives. difficult. And also, like you said, yeah. you know, it would be nice if it was packed with spectators. But. Not having, you know, but having it happen at all is better than been from your point of view than canceling. I, I because I said I would ask you, Tani. So you've got 11 gold, uh, Paralympic mm. medals, four silver, one bronze. Where do you keep them
5: in a rucksack? Do you? Sorry, that's <laughs> <laughs> what just like for, in for a cupboard. Me, an... Yeah, if, if you came to my house, you wouldn't know I was an athlete or had been an athlete, I'm not anymore. Um, Obviously, medals are massively important to me, and they're really, really important to my mum. For me, winning the race was the thing that I wanted to do, and I, you know, I'd be devastated if I lost them. But, uh, but um,
3: you don't wear them. Yeah, you don't it, wear them on a day-to-day basis.
5: No, no bit, bit tacky. Um, but no. Um, it, oh god, that's a, a hard to explain. No,
8: very no, proud
3: know, of what I had I know. I know. That, that makes total sense. And what yeah. about you, Tom? How uh, the, how many gold medals are you going to come back with this summer?
8: Well, I'm only racing in one, one race. <laughs> 20 kilometres is far enough for me. Um, but I don't know. I, I was six, um five years ago, and uh, that was kind of a bit of a breakthrough race for me. And so I, I'm going to do my best to finish higher than that. And there's not many places higher than that. So I'll, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> well, best of luck, Tom. We wish you lots of luck so that you Thank can you. come back and...
3: Uh, uh, with your medal, and then chuck it in a rucksack under the stairs like Taddy. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Bosworth, uh, best of luck. Um, uh, but Tom is taking part. Uh, all being well, fingers crossed. Uh, in uh, yeah, he's Olympic race walker heading to Tokyo uh, this summer. Also heard from uh, Baroness Tanny Grey uh, Thompson too. Uh, and uh, we will obviously bring you more as and when we hear about what may or may not happen in terms of the games uh, going ahead uh, in Tokyo this summer. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times Radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB online via smart speaker or on the Times Radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe.
2: and it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor Ancestry as we journey through your history.